Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to grow your business and take your business or your life to the next level. Today, I am excited to have Jay Williams on our show, and let me tell you a little bit about Jay. He says his gift will not be knowledge. He said you could gift anything, and um, he said his gift is new thinking, different thinking, deeper thinking with a reputation for exceptionally satisfied clients, Jay helps leaders from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies achieve desired outcomes through his leadership philosophy and methodology. He has significant experience in executive development, sales, process analysis and transformation, client services and change environment which everybody sucks at (laughs) jay also has proven expertise in creating alignment among leaders and executives to ensure clarity of values company culture strategic priorities and key business metrics a student of human behavior and leadership his track record uh, consulting and writing offer a lifetime of insight. He is the author of This Versus That, Better Thinking, Better Choices, Better Leader, and Leave Your Mark, The Thinking, Skills, and Behaviors of Influencers. He's a frequent speaker at many events, and his warm, humorous, and sometimes irreverent style engages audience to shift their thinking. He helps them examine their point of view, eliminate their preconceptions, and start searching for the truth instead. Please join me in welcoming Jay Williams. I loved Thank your you. opening. I just thought that was so well written i thought oh i have to read his books now because i like the way he writes (laughs) well here's what i would tell you for anyone listening maybe you can relate to it that's why you hire copywriters (laughs) i'm like wow i'm i'm almost momentarily taken with myself yeah that's the beauty of a copywriter so funny well the copywriter had to have some inspiration (laughs) So we always start with the very easy question of where do you live? I, so I always differentiate. Uh, people ask, where are you from? 
I'm from California. I grew up there into about uh, my mid-20s. Where I live currently, though, is in Philadelphia. So I'm just about an hour and a half outside south of New York. So where I'm from is California. Where I live is Philadelphia. Two different cultures. (laughs) That's why I differentiate. No judgment, but it is why I differentiate. (laughs) Oh, what is the issue that we see uh, you have it call, called out here what ails humanity currently <laughs> what doesn't <laughs> that's a little you know it's easier to answer about five or six years ago yeah, like I there's, know. <laughs> there's just one or two things that ail humanity i there's two thoughts that mm-hmm. come to mind so i'm going to try to answer concisely i think communication And so my focus is really on what you say, how you say it, and when you say it. And and the reason that I would focus on that, because I think any, there's different leadership methodologies out there, and they all work. I mean, I've I've seen some example of that. Where there's a disconnect is people's uh, ability to communicate their style and communicate it in a way that's clear and that's concise and that's compelling. So to answer your question, the first place I see is communication. And so to that point, we can talk a little bit more about it. A methodology I have is something that's called QSBC, QSBC. And what it is, is quick solution-based conversation, communication, or coaching. So that's the first thing to answer your question. This other one we can talk about a little bit, maybe a bigger conversation. I think what ails humanity now is at one point, and I can't speak for you, Vicki, but when I grew up, it was instilled in me that you were still respectful to people you didn't respect. So just take that in if you're a listener. Even if I didn't respect your political beliefs, your identity choices, your religious uh, beliefs, whether or not you got, well, back in the day, remember, it was the flu shot, right? Remember, did you get a flu shot? No, that was the end of the conversation. That being said, those topics have carried some weight. And what seemed to transpire over this last five to six years is that it became acceptable and then the norm, if I don't respect your opinion, I don't have to be respectful. And so a great deal of my work is shifting people's thinking and perspective on it's still imperative and important to be respectful, even though you don't respect someone's opinion. And that's how people can coexist. So whether it's in your personal life or your professional life. So to answer your question, I'd say communication and respect would be two of the things that I focus on. I believe there are some other things, just not my area of expertise. Very good. And, you know, a lot of what I teach for speaking is that importance of how you say it. I, I think, you know, I teach it's, it's a lot of times the words don't matter as much as how you say those words. I, yeah, I would be fascinated by what you do. And so I just seen a little bit, you know, in doing some of my due diligence. And I, I think your work is important because there's difficult messages to communicate these things. And so what makes it uh, tolerable or whether you'll get buy-in or commitment or commitment versus compliance from them 
I think it's how you communicate things. Uh, can I share a story with you? Would, yeah, would absolutely. Okay? Yeah. So someone called part of the work I do, I do something called exigency. And if you looked it up in the dictionary, it's just simply where there's a case or scenario that requires immediate conversation or solution. And so people will go to the website and they'll book under that and they get 15 minutes, 30 minutes or 45 minutes. If they have something that they're not interested in training, they just want to answer. So about two weeks ago, someone said, listen, we uh, in an effort during COVID to retain people is that we offer paid vacation. The criteria was, is that we had to reach our sales objectives. If we did, you receive this paid vacation. And she said in the interim, uh, over the last year and a half, we've not made it yet. We've paid out on the paid vacation and we can no longer afford to do it. And she said, we're having a meeting this morning. I just wanted to talk to you before. And I said, well, share with me your strategy. She said, well, I'm going to tell them we're not making our, our numbers. And I'm going to tell them that if we don't make our numbers and we don't get our paid vacation. So this is what I get paid to do when you talk about how things are said. The message is to bring awareness around where we are as far as what our agreement was with paid time off. So what I offered her, and again, it was just in a limited time, was it's not what you say, it's what you ask. And so the first question is, what is your understanding of our agreement yeah. as it relates to paid time off? They had complete clarity on that. The second question is, is what is your understanding as far as how successful we've been reaching our goals? They knew that as well. And so the third question is, if the understanding is that if we hit these milestones, we get this paid off, what is your understanding if we don't hit milestones? To which they answered, we don't receive the time paid off. And so the three questions instead of statements. And so, you know, the next question is, is then what will be your understanding going forward if we're not? They said we wouldn't get the paid time off. And so I think it supports the work that you do is that there was a message that needed to be conveyed there. And what the uh, garnish buy-in from them was really them, I think, when you where people weigh in, they buy in. So it's yeah. a strategic way to get that. Thank you for letting me share that story. Yeah, and it really does demonstrate that, you know, it's a you're accountable for the expectations that were set agreed upon and and you're not trying to be uh, a jerk uh, you know it's this is what you said you would do and and so now i think the next conversation would have to be our question would have to be so what can we do differently to make sure that you get your vacation next year i love the question I think for people who are listening, I know that you know this, is that there's a, a science behind it, is that what is future-based and solution-based thinking? Some people would ask, why didn't you make the numbers? And why takes you back in time as problem-focused? So I think it's the perfect question. And again, it engages them in the solution. You know, with leaders quite often, so if anybody who's listening, and by, by leader, wh whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your small group at church, or it, it's at work, or even, you know, if you're coaching a team, is that your role as a leader 
is not to make decisions and determine consequences for them. Your role as a leader is what you articulated, Vicki, is to hold them accountable to the agreement that was made. And so you give them parameters for those decisions. They make decisions within, like how hard are they going to try or what are they going to do different to hit those numbers? And you can even ask if you're listening, you say, well, how they determine consequences is you can ask them, what what do you think the consequences should be? What do you think the outcome should be if this happens? If it doesn't happen, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. certainly positive consequences. And so they can get involved in that part as a leader. And I would share with the people, my role is to hold you accountable. So when those things do or don't happen, Mm -hmm. that we're having that conversation. And I think the question you ask is, stylistically in keeping with holding them accountable. I loved it. Yeah. And and if you think about it, I always knew that whenever I made it clear to my team that, you know, this is, I, I'm not holding any secrets to what the goals are and why the goals are and, and what your role is, in, you know, why is it important in us being able to achieve those goals? If now, now I own that goal. Now, now it's not, I'm just an employee that comes in here, does a time card and leaves. I'm in, I'm important to the mission and the vision of this organization. I matter. And so now all of a sudden it's a different mindset. I think to your point, I write about in the book about commitment versus compliance. And I think what you just articulated is an example of creating commitment within a culture. And again, where they weigh in, they buy in. And for anyone listening, you know, compliance, not to insult the audience, you do because you have to. Mm -hmm. As soon as anyone stops measuring it or looking, you stop or you hit a rough patch or a speed bump. With commitment, you do it because you want to. And you talked about the why, understanding. I think when you get pushback or someone's not watching, you still continue to fight through. And I think this is what companies are wrestling with now is if they have people's mental, physical, financial commitment. They really want their emotional commitment. The the other thing that I teach is leading with your heart, your head Mm -hmm. and your hands. And you have to lead with your heart. That's. But anyway, our, our theme today is actually conversation to confrontation. And, and I thought that, you know, the way this is going along is great because all of the things that you've talked about just so far really, to me, em, embed or, or bring about, I guess, conversations rather than, as you were saying, confronting them why didn't you do this or you didn't make this and now you're going to suffer and 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 now there's that that negativity and that feeling of failure and anger and all those other emotions that we don't want in that conversation you know that we what what we're trying to get is their um the using empathy to be effective yeah, you bring up that word empathy, and it's uh, it's really fascinating. The vocabulary business has changed over the years. I mean, you know, you think of Stephen Covey, probably about, and I could be off by a couple of years, but say 16, 17 years ago, writes the speed of trust, right? People don't usually use trust within business, but I think he created a compelling case for that. 
uh, you know, you you move up a little bit, and now empathy is the number one emotion that people want from their their company. And then Marcus Buckingham just wrote a book, Work and Love. So now you have love, empathy, and trust, and those yeah. were really reserved for your, your your personal life. And I think that right now, for the culture of organizations, you talk about leading with your heart is that it's always been the key. I think what's happened is now that it became accept, what becomes acceptable becomes the norm. Yeah. All of a sudden that became acceptable. So it is the norm. Now people are tasked. I couldn't even do that in my personal life. How do I do it in my work <laughs> life? Yeah. And so uh, empathy, I think unequivocally people realize that that builds trust. And you talked about what ails humanity. Uh, th- there's uh, a book written by Amy Cuddy, and she's a social psychologist at Harvard, and the book's called Presence. And in her research, she found, and this is across the globe, that there's two things that instinctually every human being looks for. Mm -hmm. And the two things are respect and trust. And isn't Mm -hmm. that interesting that that came up in our conversation, the first Mm -hmm. two things. And so for people who are listening, why would you leave with your heart? Why would you leave with empathy? is because it leads to trust and it's what everyone's looking for. So if you're looking for a compelling reason uh, to do it, the conversation I think goes back to what you teach about communication, how you say things. And my experience has been, is that most people are actually confrontation adverse. When I work Mm -hmm. with organizations, they don't know how to handle it. They want to avoid it. Unfortunately, they aren't, skilled or have the confidence to have the conversations so they avoid the conversation they're confrontation adverse so no communication happens none and so you know there's a whole ripple effect to that Mm -hmm. so in the book when i talked about confrontation versus conversation is that's what humanity is scalable i mean what ails a small business owner ails a leader in a fortune 100 company because they're, they're they're human skills and so what if we develop the skills and confidence to have conversations? So if you talk about conversation, just remove confrontation, it's about communication, right? And so the most effective communicators communicate from the other person's perspective. Yeah. I mean, so if we're in agreement just to this point, so yes, it's about communication. The most effective communicators communicate from the other person's perspective. You go, yeah, I'm, not, I'm tracking with you. Then the next question is, how do I get someone's perspective or change it? We well, can't first change it until you understand it. The only way you're going to understand it is by asking questions. And that's where I see the pinch point in communication is we start off like the example I gave you with that compensation with what I'm going to say, what I'm going to tell them. People tell me, this is what I said, Jay. This is what I told them. That's how they start out. And the opportunity is to shift their thinking to the point of what can I ask to understand so that I know what you know, I know what you're thinking, and I know what you feel prior to me responding. So I'll pause there. That's where that, that's what really drove that chapter. And, you know, so we are right on the same page with that because my previous career was project management. And one of the things that used to drive the the stakeholders crazy is that I would not just jump in and tell them what I'm gonna do. I spent sometimes weeks asking questions. 
and understanding processes and all of that so that I knew better how to manage a project. And I think that's what we fail to in, in just anything that we do in business is we fail to listen first <laughs> and get asked those questions that will give us the information that we need to make better decisions and um, have better conversations. It happens in your personal life too. You said business, yeah. I find it Everywhere. happens to me. Even Everywhere. this parenting and oh. you, know, you mentioned with um, project management. And so I was working with an engineering firm that had project managers, a, a large population of them. And I was working with a program with them that I developed called Leading Without Leverage. So anybody who's been a project manager, you can relate to is that nobody generally on the team reports to you. You're, you're somewhat coordinating these efforts. And so I think your methodology is one that I'd recommend to everybody is that you become proficient at asking questions mm -hmm. and um, understanding if there is a pinch point, is it a willingness or it is an ability? And what are your thoughts on how you solve it? There's so many benefits and we could spend time if you want to on asking questions. I just think as a project manager, it's, it's how do you build this collaboration and how do you, you're a director of momentum. And I think one of the ways is, you know, I, I've sat in a project managers, they go, well, why was your, your, why were your numbers late? And when you ask a why question, it puts someone on the defensive. Yeah. And so I think for project managers like yourself to have the ability, and you gave two great examples of asking what questions, is that it doesn't go back in time, it doesn't focus on the problem, it doesn't put them on the defensive, it's future-based, solution-based mm -hmm. conversation. So I think there is a skill. And that's why in the beginning, you know, some people uh, read that, they go, what do you mean gift knowledge won't be your gift? Is the, the reality becomes more and more true every day is that you could Google anything I say. I can't speak for you, Vicki. I don't even know what are my original thoughts and what I've read and heard anymore. They're so convoluted, <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, one of the things is, is I don't think that would be my gift. And I think in your work, you've experienced or if somebody's listening where you tell someone something, first mistake, telling them something, and they go, I know that I've heard that before. Yeah. That's not really where the conversation is. The conversation is one, if you know, how do we bridge the gap between mm -hmm. knowing and doing? And in these project management meetings, I'm sure you experience quite often people knew what to do. That wouldn't have been your gift. The question was, is how do we bridge gap between what you know what to do yeah. and doing it? And doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So are the skills needed learnable uh, or does the person become born with them? And I know this is uh, one that people often ask about leaders. Are you born a leader or do you become a leader? Yeah. I have my thoughts on that, but I'd love to hear yours. I'm thinking you should go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a longtime Toastmaster and uh, we say where leaders are made. <laughs> okay, so then you and I have the same belief system. <laughs> yeah. I, my experience has been is if you broke it down and look at the skills of a leader, and we're not going to go through each and every one of them, you articulated a couple. One is that they listen. Two, 
is that they ask great questions. You allude to that they'll consider a perspective mm -hmm. other than their own. Those are all three learnable skills. Yeah. So when people say, is a leader born or are they made? I haven't experienced someone who is born with these leadership skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how you determine a baby coming out of the womb, whether you're a good listener, you ask good questions, you consider perspective other than your own. And so I think that there are things that give you a natural competitive edge for leadership where there's a natural trust. So if somebody's in a uniform, a policeman knocks on your door and tells you to do something, there's a good chance you're going to do it, a fireman. So I think a uniform could breed some level of trust. Mm -hmm. I don't know that makes you a leader. And I think that's where... Uh, that warrants defining what it is. I've seen people that because of their physical presence, there's a either a trust or a safety that that comes with them. So I would, if you ask me to give you an answer, I say that leaders can be made. And I think that's great news for organizations mm -hmm. is that we we can. This is something that if we shift their thinking and their emotions, that they will develop these behaviors and we'll put this performance. So that would be my response. And I haven't experienced it personally. I haven't experienced everything. So if somebody's listening and they have, they've someone's been born with that. I've seen people that are physically, they come from parents that are tall and their bone structure provides, you know, they're six, five. I don't know what, how someone could say you're born with it, but I've seen tall people and big people, good looking people who aren't good leaders. So yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't experienced that. <laughs> That's a that's a, a safe way to get around that question, I think. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you want an emphatic response, I believe leaders are made. I yeah. believe yeah. I, I've never right. some need someone to be naturally at any age. No. I've seen people be confident. And I think it depends I, and, on and I that's what I was gonna say. I think it's it's uh, it's a term. <laughs> you know, are they confident? Are they charismatic? That's the difference between being a leader. Yeah, it's become an all-encompassing. And one of the things that I've uh, begun to separate is whether I do leadership work or doing communication, because I think that the ability to communicate well, the way that we've described it, and I'm sure people would have bigger definitions of it, is that people who do communicate well generally have a large level of influence mm -hmm. and influence usually lends itself to people following them. Yeah. So is that being a good leader or a good communicator, right? Now, if you talk about there's integrity and some of those things, now it goes to the conversation. Is that a leadership conversation or is that a character conversation, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I don't even know if leadership's the right term. Uh, you know, uh, that is very true because you can lead somebody down the wrong road, right? Oh, we historically we've had it without naming names. Yes. I I don't think that you can avoid it when you talk about someone who's a leader. I, I don't know if they're again, yeah. I the leadership has become an all in I think there's been somewhat of an evolution. You know, we went from managers, you know, if you think about in the 50s, that was as the boss, right? And then I think we want a kinder, gentler term, right? And so we went to to leader. 
Yeah, and I just, I, I think it could be broken down. I just say, I think it could be broken down, it could be taught. A whole nother podcast for sure. Yes. <laughs> what data is there to support emotional intelligence having a compelling business benefit? Yeah, this topic is at the, I think there's two topics that didn't exist, not didn't exist. They weren't at the top of the list for companies. And one is psychological workplace safety and the other is emotional intelligence. And I, and I do believe that uh, they go hand in hand in order for one to be successful. And so the emotional intelligence for anybody who's listening, I know there's several definitions and I'm not saying this is the definition, a definition would be that simply your ability to identify and understand an emotion both in yourself and others and adjust your behavior accordingly. And for so long, we have focused on IQ, your intellectual quotient. And somehow we, we've always thought it'd be an indicator or predictor of success. And there's been several studies done where they brought in the people with the highest IQ to have a success uh, study only to find out these weren't the most successful people, right? When they reverse engineered it in 1982, they uh, brought in the most successful people. And what they found is they had this new intelligence, which was this emotional intelligence I shared with you. And so from a data standpoint, because I think anything that I do, I want to create a compelling human case, Becky. For those who don't care about humanity, I want to create a compelling business case. And emotional intelligence has both. So statistically, they've shown with emotional intelligence that 70% of the time, the people with the higher emotional intelligence outperform their counterparts with a higher IQ. And so I, I've worked with engineers, and I've worked with chemists, and I've worked with doctors that arguably some of the highest IQ certainly exceeded mine. And they reached a point in their career where there was no more movement because what was required was this emotional intelligence. And so that's where I work with organizations where people have highly skilled individuals that have reached this ceiling. And so quite often in, in a corporate environment, you see if the super worker becomes a supervisor, they take the top salesperson, they make them the sales manager. Life sciences, they take the top chemists and they make them a manager. I worked with one company, they took the top chemist, made them a manager because the rate they were growing, they had five people reported to them. They lost the best chemist because now they're trying to be a manager and a leader. And then they gained an HR nightmare to the point that they didn't even have an HR department, but they had to go out and get someone on retainer because of all the, the issues. And so I share it with you for anybody who's listening is I think it's been validated now if it was a gut feeling you had before, is that there is a benefit to having both. I'm not minimizing IQ, by the way. For anybody who's listening, that is not where I'm going. It's just that there's a benefit to that. And some people believe it's the IQ may get you the job. The EQ will move you up through the job. And so uh, they actually attach some data to it that people with a higher emotional intelligence on average earn $29,000 more a year. And so they've seen it, whether it's a hairstylist or whether it's an engineer or a salesperson. 
And so they've even gotten it down to the point that every point that you can raise your emotional intelligence annually equates to $1,300. So for anybody listening, there's, and even for business, um, you know, generally when someone's making more, they're selling more. So even if you're a sales manager and you're looking at your people, you can ask, where's their emotional intelligence? Yeah. And that's, you know, in my experience, whenever I would be working with folks, I always hated if they gave just a IQ kind of test to determine if they should be promoted because it didn't tell the whole story for me. And, and I have had those experiences where people were an expert in a skill and they were then promoted and they didn't have the, the, the need, the needed uh, people skills, if you will, simplify it to do the job that needed to be done because it isn't just now doing that tactical thing, but now you have to deal with somebody's emotions and you have to be inspiring and you have to be motivational and you have to be a listening ear. And a lot of times those people just wanted to do the job and be, and go home. You know, they didn't want to hear your stuff (laughs) and, and that, caused a lot of problems. Well, to your point, I've seen it within organizations where as they grow, they want, you know, they like the idea of um, internal promotions, right? Because they feel so it's an incentive. However, when I talked to these people, they said, Jay, I want to grow in my career. I just want a more complex problem to solve. I want a bigger project. They want more money. Some cases they want more money. <laughs> It wasn't to manage people. In fact, exactly. it's it's a whole different job. And so now we put them in this position, completely different. You might as well, if they were an engineer, made them the CFO. They're two different jobs. Now you're a manager, two Mm -hmm. different, three different job descriptions. And so I think for organizations, one is to understand how your people define define success and growth and how they want to be compensated. Is it more responsibility, more money, but, you know, more complex Um, projects. Some people do want to go into leadership. The interview process and the questions to flush that out look dramatically different. The challenges that I work with now is not technical. The the industries, they're they're highly intelligent. Where they're having pinch points um, is when they respond. Some people have a value of intelligence find quite often. And when they find as though someone's not as smart as them, when somebody won't work as hard with them, so they can identify the emotion, they may or may not understand it in themselves. And they certainly don't know how to adjust their behavior. So all of a sudden they're lashing out at that person Mm -hmm. or they're isolating the person. They're not Mm -hmm. inviting them to meetings. They're not bringing them on projects. And that's an example of the inability to have the conversation either with yourself or others. And now it turns into a The confrontation. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't know how to handle that. So they yeah. just bottle it up and then they lash out. Wow. Well, this is flown by time wise. I, wow. I, I mean, uh, we'll have to have you back because I have a lot more great questions here to ask you. We're going to go uh-huh. into the rapid fire ones real quick, okay. and then we'll share your slide of information. Can a leader be a friend? Yeah, I would just to answer it in the interest of time, yes. And if you say, Jay, how do you respond so quickly? I ask people, what is the criteria for a good friend? 
they say someone who's empathetic, somebody who will listen, somebody who's willing to help, someone who's willing to consider perspective other than their own. You can see where I'm going with this. And I ask them, what is the criteria for a good leader? And they pause, they go, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think that you can be friendly without being a friend. So for anyone who's listening, I don't know that you need to go to the barbecues and go out to happy hour with them. However, you can be friendly with them. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to answer concisely. Yeah, I know a lot of my mentors were leaders for me, but, but because of the mentor piece and for mentoring, I, I think that's where you just take that know, like, and trust and, and empathy to a whole nother level if they're a good mentor. Um, so definitely became friends. Does, um, what are two elements that need to coexist in any relationship for that relationship to work? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to come back to that. When you said mm -hmm. about being friends is I think where there's a disconnect, if people want to know, is when their, their leader or manager is one person at work and another person outside of work. So I would caution anyone, if you can't differentiate, if you're a different person, the person you are outside of work, will that garnish the respect and trust you need mm. to be effective in work? If it's not, and I'm not going to judge any of your outside activities, you, you know them and how people respond to them. So for me, I'm the same person all the time, whether I'm talking mm -hmm. to you or I'm on stage or I'm with my wife or my kids. So I can be friends yeah. with someone. However, if you have an alternate uh, way of operating values, moral system, I wouldn't encourage you to do it. But the two things that need to exist is uh, trust and respect. And so we touched on it before. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a work environment, you know, people ask today, Jay, when do I fire someone? Because people have certainly gotten to the point to be fireable, for lack of better terms, or you allow them to be successful somewhere else, whatever your terminology is for that. However, because of the talent pool and the availability of what's out there, meaning that it's depleted, they can't let people go. So they go, what? Where do I draw a line is when you can no longer trust people in the areas that you need to trust them as it relates to job description, that's when it's time to go. Absolutely. I think when people will not be respectful, whether they respect your opinion, your company initiatives, uh, they won't respect your values. So they don't have to have them. I'd love for them to support them. At a minimum, you can't violate them. Mm -hmm. That's when. So I think those are the two things is respect and trust. Uh, and I, I slipped another one in is that when they violate your values. So mm -hmm. again, you don't have to have them. Uh, I would like you at a minimum to support them. If you violate them, there's, that's yeah. probably time to let you go somewhere else and be successful. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. So it is time now for us to share my screen. Okay. If you are just listening in, you want to grab a paper and pencil to be able to get the website information, which I will read. If you have um, are watching this, you can take a screenshot. All the information will be on YouTube as well as my website. I have made it easier since we last spoke, Vicki. So if people are listening, if you're listening, mm -hmm. you can now go to the jwco.com 
Oh, nice. Nice. Yes, that's evolution since you and I spoke last couple of weeks. Uh, so yes. for anybody who sees it, you know, that's still accurate. For accurate. Anyone else? Yeah, everything's accurate. I've kept both. But if you're listening, it's the jwco.com. You'll be able to connect with me. Okay, so there you go. So we also have him on Facebook, J. Williams Company, or you can go to his LinkedIn at J. Williams CO again, and then Instagram is J. Williams CO. You haven't changed those to the J. W. C. O. No, <laughs> no. I just on this podcast, it, it was getting, okay, is it the letter J? Is it spelled out J? It just got yeah. too confusing. And that, so. is, that is true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, the J like the J bird. Yes. All right. And so you um, have books and things do you want to talk about what they will find when they go to the jwco.com when you go there's there's three things i think that would stand out for you one is that if you want to connect you can do that so you just go right to the connect page and you can schedule a time and you can just want to grab 15 minutes and say hey i just want to chat with you uh we're great at listening uh, the second thing is, if you're a reader, they're both the books. Um, they're not on the website, but they are on Amazon. And just so that you know, if 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 you believe or you want to support this, 100% of the profits go to stopping human trafficking. Awesome. So as as you look at uh, the books there, uh, if somebody's listening, this was based on what I was finding uh, for my clients. That sometimes they don't want to go through a full training or a conversation with me. And so you'll see something called ectogency, E-X-I-G-E-N-C-Y on the website. And what that is, is that's where people will call up and they have a case or a scenario that requires an immediate conversation or immediate solution. Mm. And so that's available for you in 15 minute uh, increments. And so uh, those are the three things I think generally that people are, are, are interested in the uh, website to either connect with me to look at the books or they have something very specific that, and it's time sensitive and they want an answer. Awesome. So it's been really a great conversation that we've had today. I have so enjoyed it. I think that we are um, a lot on the same page about things, but you shared wonderful information. And I think that it would behoove the folks to check out your books. I'm, I'm definitely going to go and grab some of these books, not, not just because they have great titles, but also because I love that you're giving 100% to human tra trafficking. All right. So as always, I say thank you for being a wonderful guest and reminding everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nethling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.